0: From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call one 205 271 Or send an email to openline at ewtn.com.
1: A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's open line. Father John Trigilio is in the house. 833 288 EWTN. That's our toll free number if you'd like to talk to Father John at 833 288 3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1 205 271 2985. And we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985. And um, you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Charles Beery is our celebrity producer today, your call screener is Matt Gubensky, and Jeff Burson, magnificent person, is our social media maven, so if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Monday, the aforementioned Father John Tregilio, how are you? <laughs>
2: aforementioned yes <laughs> we have to
1: apologize for last week uh the first half of the show uh was live the second half was not because the the string connecting our two tin cans came dislodged somehow and uh we had some d- technical difficulties i think it was the uh the enemies of italy on columbus yes, day I, uh, were uh, they were
2: they were working against marconi
1: that's exactly right that's exactly right uh but Father John, back home now at the Mount, and uh, we are ready to go. have got an email here from Robert, and he said, How did the Church develop the concept of original sin? Since the Jewish people don't believe in original sin, what did they think about Adam and Eve? Uh,
2: well, uh, it's not necessarily uh, correct to say that all Jews don't believe in original sin. I would say uh, most Jews, but they have uh, different branches of Judaism, just like there's different branches of uh, Protestantism. So you've got the more traditional Hasidic Jews, you've got conservative Jews, Orthodox Jews, and you've got liberal Jews and Reconstructionist Jews, Reformed Jews, and so forth. Um, But this idea of original sin, as we understand it uh, as Catholic Christians, is really developed at length by St. Augustine, but it was also believed uh, prior to that. But St. Augustine gives us sort of like the fun, uh, fundamental and foundational theology behind that, uh, that uh, you know, human nature was wounded uh, by original sin and we desperately needed a Redeemer. Um, in Judaism, uh, they certainly believe in the need for a Messiah, but the concept of original sin uh, is not as delineated as it is for us as, as Christians, especially as Catholic Christians.
1: Uh, Emma writes in, why does God seem
2: to favor some more than others if he's a just God? <laughs> he, uh, being just has nothing to do with having not having favorites. I mean, um, I remember my mother always, oh, I love you all equally. And I said, that's not the problem, Mom. I, <laughs> I know you love us all equally. But you, I said, but my youngest brother is your favorite. I have no favorites. I said, I don't believe that. <laughs> um, justice is giving each one his own due. That's as St. Thomas Aquinas tells us in the Summa Theologica. So you could be just and treat everyone fairly, and even equally. But in terms of having a relationship, obviously there's going to be some people that are closer because of their the depth of their love, their uh, affection, uh, their communication, and even we see in Jesus, Saint John, uh, the evangelist, you know, was sort of like his best friend. He was called the beloved disciple, and there were many times where as Peter, James, and John. That Jesus would take off by themselves, and uh, James and John, in fact, uh, you know, try to get their mother to get them a good assignment, and it said the other ten were indignant. Uh, Jesus didn't never said I'm going to treat you all the same, but uh, he will always be just and fair, uh, whether it's God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. So our problem is as human beings, especially these days, uh, we think everybody's entitled to be treated the same. Across the board, and as long as you're treated fairly, it's like the gospel we just heard on Sunday about the wedding garment. Uh, people say, "Well, that's not fair. You know, he he came in at the last minute. Uh, it has nothing to do with justice. There, the guy didn't deserve to be invited to begin with. Uh, it was an invitation extended to him because other people did not show up. But everybody had a wedding garment, and so he should have shown respect by putting on. Because Scripture says, as you read the the passage. He was reduced to silence. You know, it's not, oh, my dog ate it, or, uh, you know, I had taken take it to dry cleaners, or, you know, there's a big a moth hole in it. No, the man had nothing, no no explanation. So you could be fair and just and still have different uh, levels of, of uh, affection for people.
1: 833-288-EWTN. That is our toll-free number. We've got wide open phone lines for you at 833 288 3986 um, Melissa wants to know if God claims to forgive our sins in confession then why do we have to go to purgatory
2: <laughs> Well purgatory you know it's not it has nothing to do with the forgiveness aspect uh, not to mention when... <laughs> not to mention you don't ha- you don't have to go there <laughs> You can go straight up I mean there uh, certainly the church never says everyone or any one particular person has to go To Purgatory, there are a lot of us who need to go, um, myself included. If if I get hopefully get that far, Um, but this idea that you know you're forgiven in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, that's true, but there's the um, temporal punishment due to sin. So it's like if I throw, and and this happened to me obviously, uh, I threw the baseball uh, too close to the house and it went through the the kitchen window, and I had to say to my mom and dad, I'm sorry. Well, they forgave me, but guess what? <laughs> they took money out of my allowance to <laughs> pay back to get the, the window fixed. Uh, that's a matter of justice. And so, purgatory is a, a state of, of cleansing, uh, or getting rid of our attachment to sin. It's also uh, equaling the scale, so to speak, uh, so that we have no debt whatsoever. Forgiveness is part of the equation, it's certainly the most important, but there's also. The punishment due to sin, there's consequences of our sin. So God just doesn't say, oh yeah, forget about it. Uh, He forgives us, and we have to then remove all vestiges of that. That's why even like when you want to receive a plenary indulgence, you must be free of attachment even to venial sin, which is not easy, but it's something that you really want to strive for.
1: 833-288-EWTN. That is our toll-free number. If you've got a question for Father John Tregilio, the number is 833-288-3986. Kevin wants to know, is spiritual warfare
2: real? Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just see what's go- happening right now in, in the Holy Land. All right, you have human evil, you have diabolical evil. And you have the forces of darkness, and it's not just the devil and the demons; they certainly are very busy and involved. But we also have human evil, and there's a spiritual battle going on at both levels—at the human level and at the demonic level. And uh, we can't make excuses for anybody and say, "Oh, well, the, you know, it was the devil." Uh, you know what the Nazis did uh, during World War II, uh, and all acts of terrorism. It's it's a cop-out just to say, well, the devil was behind it. He certainly was involved, but the human beings have full culpability when they do horrible things like that. And, you know, justice must be satisfied. So, uh, you know, we, we don't want people to think that, you know, there's a way of getting around this. If you'd like to be part of the program, our toll-free number, free
1: phone call anywhere in North America is 833 288 E.W.TN, that's 833 288 3986 Straight ahead, we're going to talk to Dan in Indianapolis, Paula in the great state of Missouri, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls as well. The number again is 833 288 EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, perhaps, perhaps you're listening to us in Father Tregilio's native Sicily. We'd love to hear from you today. That number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, 271 2985 And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line if you give us a call at one two zero five two seven one. 271 2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address once again is openline at ewtn.com. That is openline all one word at ewtn.com. 833 288 ewtn is our toll-free number. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Trigilio.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question... Call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Two lines open at 833 288 Three nine eight six. Father Trujillo, what do you know about Saint Dymphna?
2: Saint Dymphna, yes, she is the patron saint of of those who have um, mental or problems or challenges is challenges <laughs> um, <laughs> like myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say your your devotion to Saint Dymphna is showing. <laughs> yes, uh, especially those of us who have to work with people who have mental challenges. But in all seriousness, she is someone to uh, ask for her intercession if anyone's having any type of uh, psychological, psychiatric, uh, mental uh, disabilities, uh, challenges, or whatever. Um, It doesn't matter to what degree, whether serious or or, not so serious. Um, She is a very
1: powerful... Yeah, and some miraculous healings in that regard have been uh, attributed to her intercession, huh?
2: Oh, yes, and uh, especially these days when, you know... we. I was in San Francisco this past summer to give a talk at the um, Archdiocese of San Francisco's uh, Eucharistic Congress. Uh, Archbishop Corleone had me come out. And when we were outside, I was just amazed at all the people, the homeless people, the people on drugs, but also the mentally challenged people who are wandering around the streets talking to themselves. I thought this one guy was on his cell phone. You know how people talk. Yeah. And they have those yeah. earbuds. Well, he was talking to himself and answering himself. Yeah, we're not serving those people very well.
1: Um, well, we've got a beautiful reminder of Saint Demna at EWTN's religious mm. catalog. It's a six-inch statue of Saint Demna, and it's hand-painted with very nice detailing. She wears a dress of green and white with cream accents, and uh, stands holding a book and a branch of lilies. Her head is covered with a tan kerchief, and this I've seen this personally, and it's it's a beautiful, beautiful. Uh, image of St. Dymphna. Uh, As Father said, she's known for her miraculous healings and is the patron of those suffering nervous and mental afflictions as well as the victims of incest. So um, spark your devotion to St. Dymphna by ordering this uh, beautiful six-inch statue. Uh, That's at EWTNRC.com. They're offering free standard shipping right now on online orders of $75 or more. That is standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at check out. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. First up today is Dan. He is a first-time caller in Indianapolis, Indiana, listening on the EWTN app. Dan, you're on with Father John Tregilio.
3: Hi, Father Trigilio. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, thank you for calling. I was, I was calling to get your thoughts on, I've noticed, since COVID, and myself included, that there are more of us that are declining the precious blood during communion. Mm -hmm. Um, At Mass yesterday, I would say maybe 20% or less uh, stopped for the precious blood as we were coming through the line. And it's my understanding that we get both grace and blessings with either the body or the blood, but just to kind of get your thoughts on what you may have noticed and things that you've heard about with those of us that are declining the precious blood. I'm, gl- I'm
2: glad you called, and that's an excellent question, because as Catholic Christians, uh, certainly this was well-defined at the Council of Trent. It's the um, doctrine of concomitance that the, uh, the real presence, Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity— are really, truly, and substantially present in either sacred species. So either in the consecrated host or in the precious blood, the consecrated wine is the totality of Christ. He's not divided because then he'd still be dead, but he's risen from the dead. So you get the whole of Jesus whether you take the host or if you um, take a, a sip of the precious blood from the chalice. That being said, you know, this is always an option. You don't have to take the chalice. Um, you should receive uh, the host. I know some places, uh, if somebody is unable because of their gluten intolerance or celiac disease, and they don't have special host, then you know just let the priest or deacon know, and they'll give you the uh, chalice or a chalice. I know when I was helping out in um, Flemington, New Jersey, they used to have a little chalice for uh, this one young boy who was unable to uh, even eat the host, but he was able to consume the precious blood. So we made, we made a couple we consecrated a little bit for him. Um, I, as a priest, you know, I still I do the Roman style as they say uh, when I'm concelebrating with priests. I take my host and I intink, which I'm allowed to do as a priest. The laity cannot intink themselves, but I, as a priest, will do that. And not just because of the fact that I did have um, COVID pneumonia when it first came out and was in the uh, intensive care for a week, but also. You know, I'm a little leery about, you know, <laughs> uh, the regular stuff that's out there. And uh, some of the priests aren't always healthy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little apprehensive. And that's just my Italian coming out in, in that. But, yes, you can receive just the host. And you're receiving all the Jesus. Some lady came to me once because we didn't have enough wine to, uh, before Mass. And so we didn't consecrate any. And we only did it, you know, once a month at one point. She got mad. She said, I gave her half of Jesus. I said, you can't divide him. There's just no way. He's risen from the dead. You can't divide him anymore. Uh, Separation from body from blood is is death. That's Good Friday. He's risen, though. So you receive the whole Jesus uh, in the host, even in a part of the host. Some other lady complained I had to give her half a host because we didn't count properly. And I said to her, it doesn't matter if I gave you a quarter or an eighth. It's still our Lord.
1: God bless you, Dan. Thanks so much for the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Paula is in Franklin County, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio today. Paula, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John.
4: Hello. Hi. I don't know what can be done, but there's a big problem. Okay, so a priest comes to the parish, he's he's new to the parish, and he gives good homilies, but he's not given much meat in his homilies. And then you talk to him, and he says, well, i got to start easy and then get stronger with my words, and before he gets very strong with his words, he gets transferred. Next priest comes, same thing happens. He gets transferred. Next, you know, and so we go in with very little meat and mostly milk. And that's no way, that's no way to grow in a spiritual life with, I mean, I know there's books and tapes and everything else I know, but a lot of people don't do that. So we need to have more meat coming to us in the homilies instead of priest Each priest thinking that he's got to take forever to go from, you know, baby food to adult Christian food. So what? What do you got in your ideas of how to solve that?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> I have to say you're absolutely right in, in many regards. Um, I teach here at the seminary, and me and and all the priests we take turns uh, teaching homiletics, helping the guys uh, learn how to preach. And we certainly remind them that that was one of the first things that Pope Francis um, said when he became pope, is that we need to beef up our homilies. Our preaching has to be more substantial. There is a directory on homiletics that came out from Rome several years ago. We give that to the men. And when we're teaching them in the classroom, and when we do the actual, um, you know, we call practicum, where uh, the soon-to-be deacons will give uh, a pretend homily, uh, in the chapel, and then we evaluate and, and grade them, uh, you know, we say to them, look, you need to have some meat and substance to it, and we don't need you to go too long, because you don't want to bore people, you don't want this to become, go from a homily to a hostage situation, but likewise, you don't want it to be, um, you know, too frivolous, too dainty, or as you said, you know, milk instead of of, of meat, um, there's a happy balance, and certainly um, the weekday mass, you know, people, especially if they're going to work, Uh, It's not really the opportune time to give long homilies, but you have a little bit more leeway if you've got retired people there. Sunday, you know, we know people, you know, some people that's the only time they are exposed to Scripture or the teachings of the Church. They don't have a catechism at home, unfortunately, or they don't read the Bible at home, unfortunately. So we tell our seminarians, when you become a deacon and a priest, you know, take that in consideration, but you only have that window between 5 to 10 minutes uh, when you're preaching and use every minute um, you know judiciously but also prudently so you don't want to bore people but you just don't want to placate them either and I would say you know um, you know keep praying and don't be a, a shy to speak to the priest but always do so respectfully reverently and discreetly you don't want to chew them out outside of church after mass and say boy father that homie really you know stunk <laughs> um, but He needs input, but he needs it in a charitable way.
1: Next up is Audrey in the great state of South Carolina, listening on Catholic Radio in South Carolina. Audrey, you're on with Father Trujillo.
5: Hi there. Thank you so much for all that all of you do. We are so blessed and thankful to get to learn from you every day.
2: Thank you. Um,
5: Thank you. I want to know, why do you... Jews didn't, and why Jews still don't believe Jesus is the Christ. I've heard that there are five Old Testament prophecies that they say did not get fulfilled uh, in Jesus.
2: Uh, can
5: you can you explain what those five are, if, if that is the case?
2: Okay, um, I'm a little confused on what uh, who, who are who is it that is not believing Jesus is the Christ? The or? Jews. Oh, the Jews. Well, they, for whatever reason, um, you know, there's certainly not, nothing theological, uh, but uh, as, as a religion, they don't believe the Messiah has arrived yet. Um, some believe Jesus was uh, a prophet, some do not. Uh, obviously, the Muslims don't believe that, but in, in Judaism, you know, they're still waiting for the arrival. Now, um, you know, that's part of the, the part of the aspect of catechesis. And evangelization is to show people so the fact that we do have jewish converts uh, those who come into the christian faith as was the case in the very beginning (laughs) uh you know uh, peter james and john and the other apostles uh, they first preached to the jews and they got many converts and then they reached out to the gentiles um the fact that not all the judaism uh embraced the the fact that jesus is the christ the messiah uh, It's not necessarily a fault of of Judaism. It means that the the individual person has to take that journey of faith, and it's up to us as Christians to also give good example, because who's going to want to believe Jesus is truly the Messiah if those who say they believe in it don't follow him, don't obey him, don't love and forgive as as he did? So we are credible witnesses if we live our faith, and then also we need to uh, spread it, Verbally, but we also have to live it. And I think that will be more of an impact on our Jewish brothers and sisters.
1: God bless you, Audrey. We appreciate the phone call today. That frees up a line for you at 833 288 EWTN. That's 833 288 3986. It's EWTN's open line Monday with Father John Tragilio.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: So, Father Trugilio, the answer to your question? Yeah? The Trash <laughs> Men.
2: The Trash Men? Oh, wow. How about that?
1: <laughs> 833-288-EWTN <laughs> is our toll-free number. That is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833 288 398 Eight, six. John is next up. He is in Champaign, Illinois, listening at EWTN.com. John, you are on with Father John Tragilio.
3: Thank you, uh, Father. Nice name. Uh, thank you both for the many gifts that you're sharing with us. Uh, I had a question. Uh, I'd encourage my daughter to call, but since I was traveling, I thought I'd take it <laughs> on myself. Uh, she had a faculty member who... Uh, oh said, grew up Catholic and professed uh, to understand, basically, but that if we said we're eating the body and blood of Christ, that we're committing spiritual cannibalism. I wanted to give her uh, a resource to be able to respond appropriately.
2: Wow. Uh, Yes, I've heard that before, too, from different sources, either former Catholics or non-Catholics. A cannibal eats dead flesh. I mean, they kill their enemy and then they eat it whether it's Hannibal Lecter or some cannibals on some remote uh, Pacific island, Um, when we eat the body and blood of Christ, he is not dead. He rose from the dead. And we eat his body and drink his blood because he said so. And he said, you must, must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood. My flesh is real food. My my blood is real drink. And he makes that so emphatic in John's Gospel, chapter 6. Uh, he says it so many times and even cranks it up in the Greek. Uh, goes from just normal eating to actually chewing and munching. That It says many of his disciples left it because in their mind, all they could think of was cannibalism. But cannibalism, like I said, is you kill someone and then you eat their flesh. Uh, if I get a blood transfusion from someone, they're still alive. Uh, they gave the gift of blood. My dad had leukemia and he would get a transfusion almost every other week and he was so grateful that people donated their blood, but it didn't cost them their life uh, to donate their blood. Uh, obviously, someone can donate a kidney, and that's happened to a number of people. Uh, so eating the flesh and drinking the blood uh, is following Christ's uh, command, and this idea of cannibalism, uh, really, you know, it, it's sort of a secular uh, spin on things, whereas we look at it is more, you know, spiritually and substantially we're receiving what Jesus said it is at the Last Supper. This is my body. This is my blood. What is the is? Well, he says to the the bread, this is my body. He says to the wine, this is my blood. So fortunately for us, the appearances, or what we call accidents in philosophy, of bread and wine remain, so it still looks like bread, it looks like wine, it tastes like bread, it tastes like wine. Thank God, because if it looked and tasted like human flesh and blood... Uh, unless you were cannibal you wouldn't be able to to consume it but the characteristics of bread and wine remain and yet the thing that makes it what it is its substance is what changes that's what we call transubstantiation the changing of substance while the appearances remain so um, cannibalism you know is one of those uh, harsh criticisms that really doesn't hold water
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Peter, another first-time caller in South San Francisco, California, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Peter, you are on with Father John Trigilio.
3: Thanks, Jack, and Father, thank you for um, being able to explain these things in such a down-to-earth and uh, understandable way. That's your great gift, and we thank God for it. About plenary indulgences, Father, if I have a for example, or the plenary indulgence by following through with the rubrics of doing it, Mm -hmm. is it possible that I could lose that indulgence by committing a venial or mortal sin? No,
2: you don't lose it but it's a one-time occurrence so for instance, if you're uh, totally detached, even from venial sin, and you have no there's, um, you know, no attachment whatsoever, uh, then that means all the sins, all the attachment you had up to that point would be absolved and if you were to die at that moment then you wouldn't you wouldn't go to purgatory you go straight to heaven now if you could have sin after the fact well then that accrues to your you know uh your your record so to speak um you would need another plenary indulgence. that's why it's good to want or at least try to get a plenary indulgence more than once in your life um i would say frequently because we're never sure exactly metaphysically certain uh we morally uh, hopeful but metaphysically certain is never in in our purview that i'm i'm detached even from any venial sin uh but i need that to receive the plenary indulgence and if you receive it it's the full remission of temporal punishment and if there's any attachment to venial sin then it defaults to partial what does partial constitute well the church doesn't define uh some people misinterpreted uh when it was mentioned in the recolta from the old days of 400 days or 300 days uh, indulgence, that wasn't 300 days shaved off your time in purgatory. (laughs) That's not what it meant. what it meant was if you did a spiritual uh, act for 300 days, whatever that equivalent would be is what you would gain uh, in this particular uh, partial indulgence. So yes, try to go for the plenary indulgence every day if possible, or at least once a week. Um, and it's, it's not something that's cumulative in the sense that, you know, uh, I get it today and now I'm set for the rest of my life. No, I'm good up from, if I get it today, it's good from today all the way backwards in time.
1: Is it kind of a, uh, does it does it take you back, for lack of a better term, to huh. your condition immediately
2: following your baptism? That that would be a good way of referring to it because you you're in the, obviously you have to be in the state of sanctifying grace. You can't be in mortal sin. But also original innocence and uh, the plenary indulgence. That's why, uh, like on Divine Mercy Sunday, they made the Vatican made it very clear: this is a plenary indulgence that's made available on Divine Mercy Sunday. It's not the only plenary indulgence that you can receive. There's so many other ways, but that's a plenary indulgence. It, some people were trying to say there's something different about the Divine Mercy and the Vatican. The, the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith made that very clear: that no. It's a plenary indulgence and it's available. And, you know, it's almost like uh, uh, a governor's pardon, okay? You're still guilty, but you're you're getting out of jail.
1: 833 288 EWTN is our toll free number. Next up is Tim in the great state of Idaho, listening to our wonderful affiliate there, Salt and Light Radio. Tim, you're on with Father John Trigilio.
3: Hi, Father John. Um. Uh, so my question is about one of the recent Gospels where Jesus talked about the man who was exercised, and then the demon went out and gathered up, uh, you know, six or eight friends and then came, and it sounds like the guy was stuck again, uh, but I'm not sure I follow what the what the whole, uh, que- you know, what the answer was, if you will.
2: Yeah, I think uh, that reference was to, uh, Jesus was saying, this can happen or this does happen. I don't know necessarily think it was about a particular case but um certainly you know that is something that can happen is that if someone's exorcised uh they're not free for the rest of their life um father um uh, we had a priest here who was a expert on exorcism and he told us um you know many times that um people can still fall into that especially if they go back to their old ways if they get into the occult uh ouija boards tarot cards um fortune tellers and things like that uh that could lead them back you know it's almost like an alcoholic you know maybe the person started out on beer and wine and then they went to to hard liquor uh it doesn't matter alcohol is alcohol all right and you can be addicted in any one of its forms in the same like with drugs you know it doesn't always have to be heroin it could be uh fentanyl and all those other things uh so what we want people to do is you know see that uh The the Lord is going to hope, give His grace, and all we have to do is cooperate with it.
1: 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. I like that call from Idaho so much. I'm going to stay right there in the great state of Idaho. Jim is a first-time caller in Cottonwood, Idaho, also listening on Salt and Light Radio. Jim, welcome to the program. You're on with Father John.
3: Uh, Thank you, and thank you for what you guys do, Father, and we really appreciate it. Quick question. My daughter and my son-in-law are building a home. It was broken into. There was lots of damage, but there was pentagrams uh, painted on the floor and the walls and it looked like some sort of satanic ritual was taking place. We're wondering, should we simply just get the house blessed when we were going to do that anyway, or should we have it exorcised?
2: Yes, I would certainly um, alert the priest uh, of of your parish. Uh, It may not require the full-blown formal rite of exorcism, because that has to be sanctioned and ordered by the bishop, but there's what we call minor exorcism prayers that the priest uh, can say. Uh, before he blesses it, because certainly uh, it appears that something was going on in that house, even if it was, you know, not intentional, which, you know, I kind of of find incredulous, but let's just say people were just, you know, dabbling in in the occult. Um, I, as a priest, if I were to see that, I would want to say not just the prayer to St. Michael, certainly I would do that and use holy water, but I would also, there are these minor exorcisms that Uh, can be done the full-blown exorcism which can be done over a person because demons can possess a person a place or a thing like a house Um, you know there's these smaller prayers that don't need official um, permission he more than likely would try that first and definitely you want to say to the priest or deacon this is what needs to be done uh, before you bless the house
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We've got a couple of open lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. 3986. Be sure to join us for The Journey Home tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. John Mark Grodi talks with Katherine Whittaker about her conversion from the Nazarene Church. That's The Journey Home tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Hugh writes in, Father, can we use Eucharistic miracles as evidence for God's existence when speaking with
2: atheists? Um, you could. I don't know if it would necessarily be that persuasive, only because uh, if they don't believe in God, I don't see how they're going to believe in Eucharistic miracles. Eucharistic miracles all right, are still uh, a mystery, and it's a matter of faith, because you know that wonderful PowerPoint presentation that... Uh, blessed Carlo Acutis put together on all these different uh, contemporary but also historical uh, Eucharistic miracles. Uh, they uh, enhance the faith, they promote the faith, but it's not an argument for faith because if it were proof or evidence, then it's not faith. That is purely knowledge. Uh, the fact is that we still have to believe, trust in God that uh, this is truly the real presence Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. And when these Eucharistic miracles take place, like when the host bleeds or like uh, when, the, when the precious blood coagulates, uh, as you can see in, in Lanciano, uh, all these things still are a matter of faith. Um, they're not going to be self-evident that someone looks at, oh, that, that's now you've proven it to me. Faith is never proven. Faith can be enhanced. It can be better understood.
1: 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Two open lines at 833-288-3986. Jenny is in the great state of Nebraska watching us on Facebook Live. Sit up straight, Father John. Jenny, you are on with Father Trigilio.
6: Hi, Father. Um, recently in the news in Elkhorn, uh, Nebraska, had about a drag queen show being canceled because then you got closed down. So I put on there, uh, Keep Up the Prayers, Prayer Warriors, and I got many responses back for that. And one of them was the priest abuse scandal. So my response to them was, um, sorry, neighbors got them. <laughs> um, that uh, is it wrong for me to say that I wouldn't consider them to be priests in the first place because they're not actually following the true teachings of Christ at the moment? And I would say that the I said to them, "You that the church is perfect, but the people there are not perfect. But we are striving, called to be perfect." And they haven't responded back to me since I said that. Oh, okay. Is well, it wrong I, of me to say that I don't consider them to be priests if they're not following the teachings of the church?
2: Yeah, um, th- there's where I would want to make a very important distinction that uh, an ontological change takes place at holy orders when the. When the bishop ordains uh, someone and uh, when the man becomes a priest or a bishop or even a deacon, there's an indelible mark made on the soul so that even if they get um, defrocked, as it's sometimes called, or uh, reduced to the lay state or laicized, uh, they still have the power, certainly the priest and the bishops have the power uh, to forgive sin and to celebrate Mass, but they may not be allowed to do it publicly, but in danger of death, an ex-priest, as, as the world would see it, still has that a uh, power and and I would say obligation to you know give absolution or to anoint someone uh, if it's danger of death and they can't get to a, a a priest who's in good standing. That being said, all these bad priests who are in jail or who left the active ministry, uh, they're still ontologically priests. But if they left on their own, they were not. They didn't petition and get uh, uh, laicized by the by the, uh, by the Vatican, uh, and they're living a horrible, scandalous life, as we've seen with some cases, sad to say. Um, they're still priests, but they've got a lot, a lot of guilt and culpability on their plate, and they will be answerable to God for all that they've done. You know, The people they've led astray, the people they've abused or hurt, or the, the scandal that they caused. Uh, but spiritually speaking, You know, to whom much is given, much more is expected. So, uh, you know, as Jesus said, it'd be better to have a millstone put around your neck and thrown into the sea than to scandalize one of these little ones. So, you know, we tell this to the seminarians, uh, you know, uh, you'll be a priest not just for the rest of your life, but forever. Uh, That's an awesome responsibility. And when a priest goes bad or when a bishop goes bad or a cardinal goes bad, as we've seen in recent times, um, you know, God have mercy on his soul. Uh, But the sacraments uh, would still be valid, still be valid baptisms. If he's got faculties, you know, that would be a valid uh, marriage. So people don't have to worry that if you were married by a priest and he was in good standing at the time and then later on he, you know, is thrown out because of his misbehavior or, or horrible, heinous things that he's done, the sacraments do not become invalid retroactively. They stay valid.
1: But she's definitely on the right track when she basically is making the case that their behavior does not represent what Holy Mother Church teaches.
2: That's correct, because even with the first, the first bishops of the Church, all right, uh, Peter denied our Lord three times. Thomas, uh, you know, uh, doubted him. Uh, Judas, who betrayed him, would have been forgiven if he would have asked for forgiveness. If he would have sought, but no, he gave in to uh, despair and 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 killed himself. So. The the first bishops and priests of the church were not perfect, and none of us are. And yet, you know, when you crunch the numbers, you know, and I, I don't make this too, you know, uh, secular. But um, at least thanks be to God, the overwhelming majority of priests uh, are are good. Just like the overwhelming majority of police are good, doctors, politicians. You know, it's the sad thing is that the 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 minority of bad examples. All right. Uh, Taint and tarnish the rest. And we should not, there should not even be one case of any uh, uh, priest misbehaving, but it, it happens. And I'm never, never uh, justifying that or saying we should treat it lightly. I think they should be punished with the full extent of canon as a civil law.
1: 833 288 EWTN is our toll free number. 833 288 Three nine eight six. Lisa's up next. She's in Kansas City, Kansas, listening on Catholic Radio Network. Lisa, you're on with Father John Tragilio.
7: Hi, Father John. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I would. Uh, I'd like to ask a question. Um, I know, as a um, practicing Catholic, that we are not to attend um, same-sex wedding ceremonies okay mm-hmm. for for what for for marriage you know the wedding ceremony yes
3: mm-hmm.
7: okay so can we um are we forbidden to attend or attend marriages if a if they're out in a um in a field you know by a barn or outside and so forth like that and they're they're um a catholic and a mormon gets married um, but they have a non-denominational um, lady that marriage ma- uh, marries them. Yes. Is it can we attend those as well? Even though we're not, it's not a valid marriage in our church's eyes.
2: Yes, it, uh, I would say uh, one distinction that needs to be made is that in certain circumstances, the bishop can dispense for what we call canonical form, which normally means that a priest or deacon marries the the couple in in, in the Catholic Church. That could be dispensed so that a Catholic can be married uh, for the first time to someone who's also being married for the first time in a non-Catholic church, in a non-Catholic ceremony. And if they're marrying someone, uh, you know, many times if uh, they're marrying a Jewish person or a Muslim or Buddhist or somebody of no, no particular religion, they can't even get a dispensation from being married by uh, any uh, minister and uh, they can be married any place but that has to come directly from the bishop and if the couple does that then obviously catholics would be able to attend but in most cases i would say that what my experience has been is when people are getting married in that way and they get some non-denominational person uh, to do it the catholic has not gone through the proper uh, channels has not gone through the proper procedures and they don't realize that sometimes that can be done, um, but there are some Catholics who marry Catholics, uh, or at least they think they're married Catholics, and they get married outside, and there's no priest, there's no deacon, um, you know, who marries them, justice of the peace or something like that. So if it's if you are morally certain that this is an invalid ceremony, then you should you should not go. Um, but before you make that uh, you know choice, find out, ask the person. You know, did you uh, go through the marriage process. There's still pre. I mean, Catholics still have to go through pre-cana. They still need to go through that process. Um, the ceremony, like I said, uh, in some cases the bishop can grant permission to be married outside and by a non-Catholic minister. Uh, so you need them to do a little homework. Um, it 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 certainly be on the the responsibility of the Catholic party to let their family and friends know that uh, if they've gone through the proper procedures and if they have not. There might be time for them to do that. You know, sometimes people, they make the announcement a year ahead of time. A lot of dioceses you have between 9 or 12 months to prepare for marriage, uh, and the, the Catholic hasn't thought about that. They need to look into it. But if it's only a month away, it's not enough time for them to, uh, to get that those permissions and, and dispensations.
1: Uh, Ruth is in the great state of Louisiana, listening on the EWTN app. Ruth, you're on with Father Tregilio.
5: Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. I recently was trying to put on the armor of Christ by having a scapula with the Benedict medal on the front. I sewed it on the the back of the scapula, and I sewed the miraculous medal on the front of the scapula, and I was giving them to all my family members. And in the process, I just learned about fake miraculous medals. And I was like, what? I've never heard of that. So I go and I look at the small ones I had bought and sewed on some of my kids' scapulas. And they do have some of the marks on them that they say make them fake, like the star above the cross. So can you explain this to me? I've never heard of this before. And I'm really confused now And how to dispose of them. They even say don't touch them. And I'm like, well, I already did that, you know, so. I don't know yeah
2: um, I I've heard of and I was when I was in the seminary which is going back 40 some years uh, they did mention to us that there were some fake or unauthorized miraculous metals um, they're not they're not cursed in that sense I know some people talk about Freemasons had their hand in some of these things uh, but if you in good faith all right and you did not know or see any markings on there this isn't magic, okay? Uh, certainly if someone intends to uh, get uh, a miraculous metal, uh, that's not uh, authorized, that's not a good thing. But, you know, you're not going to be, um, it's not like a, a magic uh, uh, thing that's going to backfire on you. Uh, and I don't want people to start wondering, oh, what about all these miraculous medals I've been given over the years? I wasn't looking for these. These things need to be very explicit. I know there's, you know, some people, I mean, even if a Freemason got into the Bracus metal factory and did something, unless it was something that was obvious, uh, I don't, because when the priest blesses the metal, uh, that would get rid of any, uh, you know, uh, occult or supernatural uh, things on there.
1: God bless you, Ruth. We appreciate the question. And uh, just at the end of the program here, Walt is driving through the great state of Pennsylvania, and he wants to know if the vessels
2: at Mass must be purified in the sanctuary. They should be. They should be purified in the proper place. I know some parishes, because of whatever time constraints, um, they do it out after Mass uh, in the sacristy, because that's where the sacrarium is. So, if that's the case, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, as a priest, I've always, and I've insisted, and this is my personal preference, that I do it right at the altar. Uh, That way I know it's done. But if it's going to be done, it could be done in the sacristy, where the sacrarium is. That's the special sink that goes right into the ground, not the sewage system. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Absolutely. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, pater, et filius, et spiritus sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tragilio, our producer, Charles
1: Beery, call screener, Matt Gubenski, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Monday. Back at it tomorrow with Father Wade Menezes. Until then, God bless.